Welcome, everybody, to the Brand what, what Builders Podcast. <laughs> the Brand Builders Podcast. Oh, yes. Uh, talking about, we're not claiming we're the brand builders, but we hope to talk to plenty of brand builders and give thoughts on building the building of brands. That's right. And today, outside of speaking to brand builders, because this is the second episode and honestly, we, we haven't scheduled anyone yet. So we're going to speak to one of the best people on planet Earth in the marketing effectiveness space through one of his most notable papers called The Long and the Short of It, which just celebrated its 10-year anniversary of publishing in 2013. And so oh. today, yes, and so today we would love to start to at least go through this wonderful paper, which I think a, a one-liner, just to orient yourself, is, is one of the problems that we as brand builders deal with is balancing the need to drive short-term sales with the desire to and the need to build the brand, the long-term business, that resilient baseline of sales that we want to compound over time. So this paper, book, whatever you'd call it, is one of the most helpful, let's call it formative seminal works in that arena. Thomas, how would you like to start? Maybe we can just frame up um, so I think here I'll just start uh, here, here's one of the things that I think was really interesting so long and short of it is is um, this kind of paper pamphlet um, that Les Binet and Peter Field wrote um, to help people think about and to, to kind of show a, a long-term study on the value of longer term uh, marketing and shorter term marketing. Um, and um, it was published in 2013, but I think has recently maybe gotten popularity. I've listened to a couple of podcasts where it seems like Les Binet is, is saying like, it's kind of catching on a bit more <laughs> as people are uh, finding some of the limitations of their short term marketing strategies. Um, I think one of the things that really strikes me about um, just as I, as you dig into this world of Binet and Field and how brands grow, which is like the Ehrenberg Bass Institute, you kind of start to dig into the big old kind of marketing science uh, via professors and studying massive brands um, kind of run into this, like there's, there's these like two, two guards. There's like, you know, what I'll call like the pre-digital uh, sort of uh, advertising crew that like, I think is is where Binet and Field originally come from, but their study is in 2013. So obviously I think they're trying to incorporate a lot of like digital um, updates, um, but come from a world where short-term measurement just like wasn't even a thing. Like when you're running like linear TV ads and things like that, you're not tracking last click. You're not tracking, you know, the, the way you track your media is just very different than what digital started to give folks. Um, and 2013 was still like early like that, you know, Chubby's was totally. a couple of years old. Um, and, um, 
and so I think that there was this notion of, of um, like we've obviously been doing this for a long time and <laughs> running media and ad campaigns have built brands um, before digital. And all of a sudden, none of these companies are using this like kind of traditional playbook. Um, and um, I kind of uh, at least intuit a little bit that that was a little bit of like why think about why, why start thinking about this tension between short and long term, because once you had the bright, shiny object of Facebook ads that you could report on, you know, um, seven day click one day view and you could adjust those and all this stuff. You were like, what are these, what are these dummies doing over here who aren't even accounting, holding their campaigns accountable to revenue? <laughs> and like, Oh yeah. Exactly. You tell me that they're accountable for three years. Sure. Uh, <laughs> and check me they're out. The, I've got the all the sweetest to, data. Uh, yeah. What's <laughs> yeah. that? The one the classic Wanamaker problem, right? What is this saying? I, I know I'm wasting 50% of my uh, advertising budget. I just don't know which 50%. That's exactly that's exactly. who they are. That's who they are. That's They're who they are. They're the ones. We figured it out. <laughs> um, and all it took was sweet, sweet data. And then meanwhile, the Benayan fields, the kind of more traditional folks are like, oh, you dumb, young idiots. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but there's like this tension because I, even in long and short of it, one of the things I'm strict, I'm, I'm struck by is um, one, like uh, certainly addressing larger brands like talking about larger brands and more distributed brands. Um, I think they had a couple of e-commerce businesses in this study, but um, I think for the most part, they were really thinking about larger brands that are more well distributed. Um, and I think the second thing um, that uh, I noticed is like the definitions of short and long-term. Um, where short-term campaigns were things that I think were uh, measured in like uh, a year or less, like a campaign that was run for a year or less and long-term right. was something that was, was longer than that. And like in my world, short-term is like a week or a day, Tomorrow. you know, <laughs> and long-term is like, uh, is months, not years of running right. a campaign. So I think there's also, what it taught me was that I was I was thinking about things too eagerly, like too way too short term, obviously, and um, that there is a lot of value in patience. Um, I think we learned that broadly in, in at Chubby's in, in our work, but um, patience in building these businesses. Um, and um, and so anyway, that, that that was like a broad kind of theme that I thought was interesting. Um, but uh, let's let's deep dive. Let's dive into it. Let's do it. Let's do it. One of the things, obviously, I would recommend, we would recommend reading the whole paper. One of the things I enjoy as you look at the table of contents is that there are there are four sections. All four of them end with 10 thoughts from this section. 10 thoughts from section one, section two, section three, section four. So we could potentially just go sequentially. One of the things to your point though, that you mentioned was this is very study-based, you know, th these aren't opinions as much as them studying hundreds and hundreds of brands, albeit more, let's call them traditional, able to operate short-term campaigns <laughs> over the course of a year or less, right. long-term campaigns well, being longer. 
but there's data. There's data that supports yeah. this, which is there's sweet cool. sweet data. The here's here's the data set, right? I think it's important to know the data set. It's uh, the IPA effectiveness data bank, which is 30 years, and this is as of 2013. So I guess from 1980 through, so oh yeah, they say 1980 through 2010 covers more than 700 brands, but it's all based on this like awards uh, from the IPA, um, an advertising um, group. And so it's like big campaigns, big businesses who are submitting their campaigns for awards. Like this is the data set they're working on. Um, and it's looking at 996 campaigns and they're looking at how frequently did these campaigns change? And so like, there's some definitely really interesting stuff. It's like campaigns even was not the way we thought about things at Chubby's <laughs> for quite right. some time. Right. And we never submitted ourselves for an award. And so like, right. again, the data set is not quite modern brands, but that doesn't mean that the results are, are incorrect and like doesn't mean we can't learn a massive amount from them but it is interesting the data set and um, the way they even think about long and short term when you come from this world of um, traditional campaigns and things like that um, which is a lesson i think for a lot of the younger generation i don't think it's a foil um, for the uh, the work that, that they've done yeah well said so that's, yeah, that's source of data, source of sweet, sweet data, methodologies used, which I think provides an objective grounding for, for what we're talking about. Fully acknowledging, as you said, that Chubby's isn't in there, um, name your modern brand of today isn't in there, but brands, and I think this is a point that we'll keep coming back to, brands have been in existence and being built for way longer than you and I have been around. And many have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. And one of the things just separately that I've been looking at are companies and brands that are older than our country. And there are so many, it's crazy, right? And so to your yeah. point, starting to think about time, not in terms of hitting this week's number or this month's number, in this quarter or year, but maybe I'm passing this down to my grandchildren or my grandchildren's grandchildren, how I then think about things differently. And not that it's only that, and I think that's the point of this paper, it's finding that optimal balance. And even with the fact that these brands are, let's call them more traditional, um, they were still able to find Again, that sweet, sweet data that supported this mix, I think, that we'll get to, that is actually quite interesting. And most all of it, I would say, and I'd love to just sort of like get your general thoughts before we jump into specifics, seemed to resonate even today. And that, to me, I think is just quite interesting that, uh, and I know we talked a little bit about this in podcast episode one which is here are some of the things in a world of change here are some of the things that don't there's a little bit of that here as well totally so yeah i think it's i agree let's 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 jump in where where should we start so i am looking at maybe one of the places to start is this idea 
that, and maybe we agree and maybe we don't necessarily agree with just the idea that, and maybe I'm not articulating this correctly, but a little bit of the tension between um, doing long-term stuff can help short-term doing a bunch of short-term stuff didn't show to help build the long-term. So there's a little bit of a tension there that at least they talk a little bit about in this writing. And uh, I'm interested in one of the things it seems like they say, correct me if I'm wrong, is maybe don't even try to do both at once. For, for the reasons that they give, but maybe we could start just with the tension of the short and long term that they talk about. Um, what do you think? Yeah, well, and you've done a great job of, of talking about some of this um, in some of your writing, um, which is oh, thank you. broadly the note of just um, category buyers versus non-category buyers or, or people who are in market versus not in market, right? Like, um, the, for the most part, the people you're going to, you have the potential to advertise to who are potential buyers of your brand over the next 10 years, 95%, the vast majority of those people are not currently buying your brand. Um, and, um, and so, so generally when you're targeting them with media, you're, you have to think about a longer time frame than I'm going to monetize today. In period now, like again, I I I need to wrap my head around one year being the cutoff of short and three right. years being the notion of long, uh, which is kind of the way that they frame it up in this. But um, but generally, that like really rings that really rings accurately for me. And, and so when you're running ads at these people who are um, your long termers, uh, it's it's all about getting that psychological connection. Um, and that's something that rings true with us experience at Chevy's and the way we thought about transitioning our business, where it's like fundamentally the creative you serve is vastly different if you're trying to do to build that sort of connection than if you're trying to sell products to someone who is currently in market, which is kind of both the gift and the curse of modern uh, advertising tools is they're so dang good at finding those people that that's where all your budget goes is those people who are currently in market and then you're competing at the product level. You know, maybe you've already had a great brand value prop that they bring into that, that conversation. But um, if you don't, then your, your ads are competing at the product level and always, always, always you'll see when you're running those ads um, it's some version of how can I give them the best collateral to make a great shopping decision, a rational decision about my product now, hopefully it's been imbued with emotion from uh, content that you've had going on prior, but like, um, that's really what works there. Um, and that's very different from what works of building uh, broader connections that we measured in a variety of different ways, uh, Chubby's, but building this idea of quote unquote brand and building the long-term effects, building out your organic uh, customer acquisition base, your own organic customer acquisition base, very different toolkit, very different media. So it really rings true to me that there's a massive difference in those. And that if all you're doing is short term, you're never building a long term connection. Whereas if you have something that's great for long term, there's some potential that it could hit for short term as well. And you've seen like maybe a liquid death is a good example of 
um, combining some of those things um, of, of kind of recent um, times of where like mm-hmm. you see their media, it's great for brand and it's a pretty transactional product. Like you could probably see short-term sales um, pick up from those sorts of things relatively quickly. So it rings very true to me. What do you think? Yes. And actually, I was going to answer your question with a question, which is sometimes I get the question from people running other brands, marketers, founders. Let's get specific. What do you mean when you say, and I think we have an intuition of this, but maybe just to get specific, you started talking very specifically around what you're doing when you're doing these short-term tactics, competing on the rational level, right? Targeting the folks who are in market, getting them to actually take action and purchase. But, and I think therefore we can all intuit because I think most of what many of these modern brands like Chubby's, um, maybe not most, but what I think we're all used to is being experts in the short-term but maybe we could talk a little bit more specifically around what are some of the actual tactics that go into this long-term bucket, things that people can actually specifically understand and put their finger on so that they know what we're talking about. And and then maybe that will orient folks around some of the points that we make um, as we go through the rest of this. Cool. Um, yeah, tactics. So. The way I think about, I'll just start speaking and it'll probably uh, find the structure. But um, when we're trying to build kind of long-term impact, the way I think about it is building memory structures, building emotional connection. Um, all the things we talked about in the last episode, right? Like uh, building distinctiveness, um, occupying a unique space in a customer's kind of both uh, in a customer's mind and emotional space. Um and, um, and so when I'm thinking about that, to me, one of the things that I think about is channels, right? Like, um, it's not mm-hmm. every channel that gives you or that has high likelihood to give you that sort of um, commitment, time commitment that it might take to tell your story um, and to captivate someone's attention for a certain amount of time. Um, and, um, and so one of the things that like, I think TV does a good job of at least traditional TV um, is you're a pretty captive audience. You're not scrolling, you're not checking out stuff on Instagram, you're not shopping, you're watching this TV show and your options. And like, we all, (laughs) we've all resonate with this. Anybody who grew, who grew up in a more cable TV oriented household, like you're waiting through the commercials and it's freaking awesome. If there's a good one, and if not, you're kind of um, and you're just waiting for them to end, right? Like that's it. And um, but you're watching them. You're like paying attention to them, even the ones that you didn't like. You know the catchy jingles and all this stuff. Um, and um, and so there's something to that. Um, but because of that, it's very unlikely that what you're also going to then do is while you're watching the ad, go shop for the product, right? Like it's it's. It's the, it's the kind of the inverse of what you might see on the Facebooks and the Googles um, where there's not a lot of attention. People are very quick to move on to the next thing. There's like very infamously when you're creating content for Instagram or TikTok or whatever, you know, you've got three seconds and maybe it's even one second. And if you talk to, um, you know, the YouTubers, it's like 
you know, it's, it's, you know, one second of the thumbnail sort of thing, you know? right. but it's just such short term that, um, that you've got like effectively no time to make the more emotional sell, the more creative sell, um, or rather not, not it's impossible, but it's just very hard. Um, and it's just much rarer to find that. So channels are yep. one of the things that I think about, um, what about you? What, 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 what comes to mind tactically? Yeah. Channels. Perfect. Channels. Perfect. So yeah, I mean, it's, and then if you just sort of start thinking agnostic of channel in a lot of ways, to your point, it's video, right? It's video that effectively isn't trying to get you to purchase right away. It's effectively, they're explicitly not doing that. It's something that the person, the viewer, or the listener, if we're talking radio, which is interesting, um, leaves with a, an ideally a new and improved imprint of who you are to them in their brain. Maybe they're reacting like uh, with a chuckle or uh, that was powerful or uh, holy smokes, that was a crazy story or something along those lines, but you're explicitly not pulling off the road to your point or yeah, pulling up your phone, it's a it's a changing of the mind. But so often oftentimes there's a there's a narrative structure to it. There could be emotion driven, right? Whatever it might be. It doesn't necessarily have to be bringing you to tears. It could be laughter. It could be excitement, right? It could be all surprise. All of these sorts of things. And then obviously it should tie to right who you are and, and the your place in this world to a certain extent and, and there's i'm at the moment forgetting the effect that kind of talks a little bit about the idea of creativity and surprise where you kind of got to stay in, in somewhat of these bounds but you want to be different enough within that context so anyways those are those are i guess a couple of thoughts on yes. uh tactics attention quality of attention um is also something that you were mentioning that I think we um, maybe not missed the boat on, but um, you you already said it like that one second thumbnail, just getting your yeah. hook to be such to where like there's there are metrics in I think in Asmina, but for sure in, in TikTok, all of these sort of like short form video platforms where it's like okay did did the hook get me to the three second or to the two and a half second or whatever? And so we just optimize the hell out of that. And in some ways it's, it's, you know, missing the forest for the trees sort of thing. So anyways, yeah. those are, those are some tactics that I think we're talking about where again, explicitly you're going to not necessarily see massive, a massive spike in sales um, easily attributable necessarily revenue in the in your to your point your seventy last click um, but it it does do something right and there are ways to to measure that and I think that's yeah. separately yeah. part of what is what is talked about okay so that's that's tactics I think there's grounding well, there. on the on the creative front one of the things that came to mind and we always thought about it at Chubby's um, that was kind of infused in a lot of what we did. And at times I don't think we held to this line perfectly, but it's like all like content and uh, laughter and like um, emotional connection and things like that are generally like social psychological constructs, 
you know, like a lot of this stuff is really rooted in social constructs, right? Like, mm-hmm. and, um, and what you like, what sort of content you like, um, I always drew parallels between what sort of people you like. Um, mm. and, um, and so like when we were thinking about how we talked, how we spoke to folks, uh, at Chubby's and, and even as we think about, um, uh, generally any, any kind of business venture we were involved with, like speaking to them as though we're friends, right? Like as, as uh, we're building a relationship, a mutual relationship or friendship, um, was always really useful. And, um, if your friend, I'm like, if your friend was always being really pushy to try and get you to do something or be really transactional or get something from you, um, because people bring value to relationships, right? Like right. if they were always doing that, you just wouldn't be that great of friends with them, right? Like right. Um, fundamentally, they need to be giving just as much as they're kind of seeking to get. Um, and um, And so like, that's always one of the things that I think about when it comes to creative is like, the more you're transacting and pushing the transaction, you're kind of taking money out of the bank, right? And, and yep. if, maybe somebody's talked about this uh, in the past, but like when you're giving them kind of laughter or good content or um, um, that, that sort of uh, giving more than you're getting, right? You're putting money into the bank, right? And, and um, that's where like, I think coming back to long and short of it, their point isn't only do long-term long-term advertising right. and only do short-term advertising It's find the nice balance of the two um, where you're giving as much as you're getting and you're building something of real value for people, but you're not just always trying to push the transaction um, kind of reflects like how people just like how they form friendships in general, you know? Right. Um, so anyway, I, I always thought that was interesting. And I thought we, I thought that we did a good job of kind of, always at least keeping that in the forefront. And sometimes we had to do sales and sometimes we had to run discounts and things like that. Um, but we tried at least to not be super duper salesy. Um, totally. If we avoid it. Well, let me just sort of like continue your metaphor of sort of like real life in-person relationships and try to make the, the jump to where I would like to go next, which is price sensitivity, brand building explicitly meaning reduced price sensitivity as, as seemingly a couple of the points that uh, Benet and Field are calling out here and maybe hearkening it or trying to connect it to the real world relationships piece. There's a bit of, I don't want to use the word loyalty because it obviously means something in the context of brands, but it's a little bit of, have we created a relationship with that person? Because I think we can all sort of internalize this. Have we created the type of relationship with a particular person or has someone created that relationship with us where we just don't care? We don't start, we don't think about how hard something might be if they ask us to do something. We're, we're, like if, if, if the brand, if you will, is strong, we'll just always be there, whatever the cost, whatever the ask. And I think that's maybe a representation of the maybe ideal type or goal when we start to think about brand strengthening, manifesting and reduced price sensitivity, I think we can internalize it in, oh yeah, there are some relationships we have where for whatever reason, um, probably somewhat of a long-term relationship, probably built trust, et cetera, et cetera. We know what makes our great relationships. We just drop anything there. And then there are others, maybe they're more transactional 
or maybe they're shorter term or whatever they might be, where it's a little bit of more of a, maybe it, it turns into what system two thinking a little bit, or we're just, maybe we're, we're not necessarily going to be there in every situation. So maybe just to trans yeah. now, now that I've built the bridge, maybe we could talk a little bit about <laughs> price sensitivity and that a couple was elegantly of points done. that are, <laughs> Thank you. But price sensitivity, right? It's a very uh, tangible uh, manifestation of like if, if anyone listening to this podcast has ever tried to raise prices, for instance, and it went well or it didn't go well, that is a very visceral thing that has probably happened in the course of your journey building a brand. And there's one of the one of the great quotes from Warren Buffett, for instance, maybe the best evaluator of the of the value of a brand, right, is the single thing he looks at, he says, is uh, a company's ability to raise price. And then the, the second thing he says um, is if a company or if a management team has to have a prayer meeting before they raise prices, that's not the company you want to invest in. So I think that's that's great. It's just a very sort of simple Okay, you have a strong brand. You know you're strengthening your brand if you can raise your prices, or if there's less. And you gotta have guts, you know. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, the 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 price thing is really interesting, and Chevy's uh, in probably like many 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 brands out there. We started with this like uh, uh, ideology that we'd never ever discount, um, and um, eventually the realities of inventory management, things like that, like. <laughs> uh, made yep. that um, an impossibility, but um, we always were very careful about it. And again, like in the same sort of way of thinking about value exchange um, in the relationship perspective, that's the way we always thought about it. Um, even offering any any sort of discount is like really making sure it's oriented towards value exchange, and it's not just right. a bargain bargain blowout sort of thing. Um, but I, one of the things that I always like thought. Thoughts I think about when it comes to pricing and particularly the notion of discounting, right? Like I think um, yep. uh, pricing theory is one, but also like discounting is another. And probably the most common thing that we're seeing these days is whatever your price is, marking it down, discounts and flash sales, things like that, but to drive urgency um, is a couple of things. One, like one of the things that like just as a um, consumer of products that really actually throws me off when I hear about a business or a brand is um, when somebody has to couch <laughs> the, the fact that they bought the brand with the idea of, Oh, but I got it on a discount. Sort of right. thing. Like anytime right. that you're accompanying that, like that, that you bought this thing, but oh, I got it on a discount. Everyone that you've just told that to is now I'd be an idiot to not get that thing at a discount, sort of thing. Right. And uh, something that like was uh, kept me up at night with Chevy's when we were doing discount. Right. Hypersensitive. Uh, anytime that that's a conversation, I'm like, that's not good. <laughs> not good. Right. Right. Uh, because maybe there's a person in there who just bought it full price and now they seem, they feel foolish. You know? Now they, I'm the idiot. You never, yes. yeah, you never want someone to feel foolish for having bought your product. Um, and so it's incredible when someone can really avoid discounting. Now, like the reality is, is when we're kind of uh, 
running the business is like sometimes it's unavoidable. Sometimes you have to do the cash management stuff. Um, and, um, and so I think constantly making sure you keep in mind that that idea of value exchange is really important. Um, the idea of like price increases is one that is really interesting to me. And like Buffett's sort of interpretation on that. And mm-hmm. I think like yeah. Apple is a great example of like a brand that can command that. Um, and it really takes, like, I think it's, I think that that is a commitment to going slow. Like if you're down to grow slowly, you probably have a lot of great control over that. And like, you know, classic Buffett, like Buffett won't invest in a business without like 10 years of like really right. systematic profit growth. Right. Like, and so he's already investing in long-term businesses, but if you're trying to go zero to a hundred million bucks in a couple of years, right? Like the degree of inventory risk you have to take, the degree that things can go sideways and get wonky and things like that um, might mean that it's really tough to do. And so like, to me, when I hear about pricing, again, it comes back to patience. If you can be really patient and take the time it takes to build an awesome brand and not have to discount, not get yourself into bad inventory positions, um, you get a ton of leverage, but it takes time, which is why those things are such great investments probably, because if you've, if you've been around for 40 years and you've been you've never had a drop price, you've continued to own brand and product and things like that, well, then you're probably in a great spot. Uh, whereas if you're just started out zero to zero to 20 million bucks in a couple of years, but getting there through discounting, things like that, you're probably a lot more tenuous, a lot more uh, subject yep. to failure. What do you think? Yep. I liked, I'm trying to remember one of the, one of the things you said that I would just wanted to jump on and I'm blanking on it right now, but, um, the, yes, it's, I talked a bit, I opened it by talking about raising price and your point, which is spot on. It's not just about raising price, it's holding price. Right. And, but I think in both scenarios, as you said, patience, that long-term view, um, or the, uh, let's call it constitution or the gumption to have your revenue take a hit potentially by not discounting, uh, maybe a short-term hit, for instance. I've been trying to think a bit about these, these ideas of brand resets because uh, I was talking with you about the CEO of Deckers, who's also on the board of Solo, and he runs Deckers, which has Hoka and Ugg. And Ugg being a really interesting brand that I think everyone knows a bit about and and has a feeling for kind of like when that boot became iconic, became everywhere, and then was truly everywhere, and then kind of lost a bit of the, let's call it the desirability. And um, it basically just talks about the process he went through, which I think was kicked off in 15 or 16, that took about five years, which is also crazy, to essentially say no to a lot of things, right? Cut back um, on on wholesale partners, uh, completely change the way that they think about like getting out of the short term, thinking more about the long term. But, and then, and then, price like he was talking about we were just doing a bunch of off-price stuff and that being one of the main contributors here so so price uh 
those are a couple yeah. of the thoughts. And you, I remember that. Do you remember that was right? Like, totally crazy. And, and, and is... they had negative years of revenue. I think that's something that many of us building brands today are just so freaked out about. Is a is a year where your revenue is lower than the year prior, and they did that, and they were somewhat meddling for about five years going through this process, and and now they're two billion a year or like a two point four billion dollar run rate, growing at like thirty percent, which is just crazy, right? Sure. That these these processes happen right it's it's not it is long term but it isn't linear and um because this balance oh because i think tying it back to real world relationships right it's just like real world relationships aren't totally linear right there are people involved and there are there are sort of like ups and downs and resets and all of these sorts of things and uh, yes, to your point, like we all we all saw it happen, and UGG is, is just a pretty sort of interesting example. The other stat that is crazy about UGG that I just read about, you know, StockX, the sort of like trendy shoe mm-hmm, platform. Mm-hmm. I could be mistaking this, but just run with me. It's it's representative of the general point I'm trying to make. It's like the highest search brand on StockX right now, and <laughs> these. Uh, That's so great. Um, and and. Because they've done all these really sick collabs, it could be UGG. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It could also be. No, it's not Crocs. Tevis. Crocs is another one that's just <laughs> going bonkers. And yeah. anyways, it's it's just wild. Now they've been able to turn it into this thing that has so much desirability. And whereas a decade ago or eight short years ago, it was just this thing that no one really wanted to be associated with. So um, it's, it's kind of cool that there's these ebbs and flows, right. But that, and that nothing is um, forever lost. Right. And then, but there is this sort of resetting and Chubby's went through something like this ourselves and it's, you know, it's nothing to be ashamed of. And I think a lot of what we've learned is that, pretty much every brand goes through it and a a book like this or a paper like this talking about the long and the short of it really helps i think pave a bit of a a playbook where we can just start to say okay this there's so much data here whether or not you're like this brand is just like me i mean in a lot of ways a brand is a brand is a brand because it is fundamentally relationships with people and as we talked about in podcast one the relationship is very much in the mind and our minds haven't changed for millions of years, right? So there are all of these things that that don't change. So again, bringing, sort of trying to bring it back to uh, totally. the long and the short of it. Uh, totally. The other funny thing, speaking of long, is uh, is that Deckers bought UGG in 95. Uh, ah, yeah, good so point. still 20 years before they started that that initiative um yeah but yeah, yeah it's fun and we'll we'll probably cover some of the other uh, yep influential books in our careers but like it's fun to think through all of like the iterations of brands of the past yeah corona has a really fun story where um, the way that they became what they are today is it's not where they started <laughs> which right. is like the cool beachy beach brand sort of thing 
they were like the cheap Mexico. It was like basically Natty Light in Mexico. Sort of <laughs> like that was that was the vibe and the energy they were bringing, uh, which is really funny. Just like to to think about um, how you change your messaging, how long it takes for that to start to sink in. Where now you think of Corona and you're like, oh yeah, of course. Um, but they had to like really shift the perspective on the brand. Um, and like even long short of it, it's like three years is the campaign that they were thinking about well, like long term of, of yeah. this uh, the same campaign of like, you know, example being the Throngs croaking out Budweiser or the West right. sort of <laughs> ideas. Like that's the definition. Like that's the message that they were bringing for three years in a row. And um and that's interesting, like this, like the same concept iterated over and over again. And like, it's not something that we did. Uh, we did a little bit of that at Chubby's. Like we tried to hit on um, mm-hmm. some things aren't meant to be short was one that we like hit on a couple mm-hmm. of times, but it wasn't like everything every year for three years. <laughs> right. Uh, which is interesting. And I, I bet it adjusts because like these awards are not social media related awards. So I bet it adjusts as you think about like social and things like that. And there's probably some right. studies that are going on. But um, totally. Totally. But yeah, the, being able to wait it out is always a win, right? And like yes. that's in the campaigns they're talking about, that's in the UG story, that's in it's the biggest brains out there. Being able to just like wait it out, good times are bad, it's like always a win, basically. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Let's jump to uh, section two here. Two things I wanted to chat with you about. P-Rev, quickly, time check yeah. is 5.05. Oh, okay. Do you want to sum it up and then maybe we go into section two next week? Sweet. What do you think? Because there's some cool stuff. Yeah. It starts to talk about like share of voice, extra share of voice, voice connecting to market share, and then it gets into the actual 60-40 and we can talk about that. Is and, the whole brand activation thing, uh, or a brand, yeah, that's true. They call it, um, it's kind of interesting. Is it brand activation? Is that what it was? Brand response? Brand response, yeah. Brand response campaigns. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of interesting. So yeah, there's right. probably more. So maybe maybe you, you, you tie it out and say, hey, we've realized we've got more content and we'll keep it going next week. And we can also just splice these together. All wear the same shirt. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Let's, um, yeah, that's true. Well, why don't we just do it here? So um, that is part one of our deep dive into one of the greatest um, books, papers on thinking through the, how to maximize or optimize the tactics or strategies that we employ as brand builders to think about maximize both the short and the long term because it's not one or the other, right? But it's thinking about how we best do it, why we do it, why it makes sense. So next time we talk, we'll talk a little bit about brand response, what that means, ideas of share of voice, maybe today's version as well that we could start to think a little bit more about with share of search and share of social and those connections to market share. And then actually specifically getting into the optimal mix of short and long and uh just a teaser it's 60 40 in favor of brand but we'll get into more about why and we will keep this conversation going so ideally with this episode ye listener 
there's a bit of, hey, we're just trying to share stuff that we've learned, tie it into some stories, but go through some of the best work out there. Because candidly, we knew some of this stuff while we were operating. Tom, I know, um, what is it? Kellogg on Branding was one of the big books that, that was very influential to us. But then some of this stuff we've just learned about now that we've been out of it and we've had a little bit more time to think, reflect, learn. And it, it has given us a bit of a vocabulary and helped to maybe support or challenge a little bit of our intuition in a little bit of this, because none of this necessarily is super rocket science. Some of it is, but other parts of it is just, oh yeah, okay, there's this data that supports this. Here's a vocabulary for this. Here's a term for this sort of thing. So hopefully, listener, this was helpful. Um, Give us feedback. We're going to keep going. We're going to try to do this every week. And we'll have more guests on, folks who are building brands. So if you want to come on the pod, let us know. And with that, oh, we yeah. will sign off. We will bid our adieu. Uh, this good stuff. is the Brand Builders Podcast. All right, Doug. Adios. Wait. Peace. Don't leave yet. Let me...